Well, before we dive in um, to our, the new series, I mean, I need, I need to pause and I need to give glory to God and say thanks to all of you for, uh, for what's been happening these last, um, these last couple years. I, I had a chance to meet with Mike Brown um, on Friday. We had lunch. And Mike Brown is the director of church planting for our denomination's Northwest Conference. And so I'm having lunch with him. And to put this into perspective, Mike um, is a part of this covenant family that we're a part of. And the covenant is one of the churches that's setting the pace right now when it comes to church planting. And of the conferences within this denomination, the Northwest Conference is the conference that's setting the pace in the denomination that's setting the pace. So that's a little background. Well, Mike looks across the, the table at me on Friday and he, he just says, Chris, you don't know. Um, what, what God is doing in your midst is really something special. You hear the stories of, of the, the churches that, that grow from four to six million you know, overnight, but he said, you know, that, that stuff is so incredibly rare, but what God's doing in your midst is also rare, very rare. He handed me a book, and I um, last, uh, was it yesterday? Yeah, just yesterday, I just randomly opened up. I just opened it up randomly, and it opened to page 101, let me just share a couple things here really, really briefly with you. Um, the, the, there was a bullet point on here, and it says, average attendance is 84 in a church's fourth year. And underneath it reads, at the one-year mark, the average attendance of a new church is 41 people. At the two-year mark, it's 56. At the three-year mark, it's 73. And our goal is never to be big box. That's not what we're about. But if you are a healthy, God-honoring church, generally, you should expect that folks are telling other people about that and that God is sending other people into your midst. So it's exciting to see that. And on this other, um, the next bullet down said this, three of 10 new churches become self-sufficient in year one. It says a full 30% of new churches attain self-sufficiency financially in the first year, 40% in the second, and then in year three, um, they're saying this is great. I'm surprised it's this low. 54%, only 54% of churches are financially independent when it comes to year three. And it's exciting for me to be able to sit up here and report that we are not only financially um, independent, but um, God has, through your generosity and through um, very, uh, very, intentional stewardship. We've been able to give very generously to causes that matter to God. And we've been able to put in place a, a financial cash reserve of two to three months, which I think is a God-honoring thing. So again, Mike knows these things. And so as he looks across the table, he just says, God is doing a really neat thing. And again, we can't take credit for this. You know, everything from our name. God gave us our name. God led us first to Chippewa Middle School, and then he opened the doors here. Um, God is using this church. It's so humbling because God is using this church, as I, as I talk to individuals and as I see what's happening in their lives, God is using this church to touch people who have never felt connected to God before um, and those who, uh, who have never felt connected to church before. At the same time, there's also people who grew up feeling connected, feeling close, who feel like I'm getting growing deeper. So praise to God for, for, for what he's doing. Because it is something special. And, and as we've been following this thing, because we didn't set out and say, here's this vision we got for a church. We've just been following God along the way. It's exciting to see this, this, um, what, this unique thing that he's doing here. He's teaching us how to be both relevant and reverent. 
He's helping us rediscover wonderful traditions, but giving us this little modern twist to them. He's inspiring us towards excellence, but he keeps reminding us, it's not a show, it's not a show, it's not a show. He's taken us deep into his word, but in a way that people who've never heard it before can understand. And he's drawn people from all kinds of backgrounds. But what's so exciting is rather than us coming together and saying, this is what baptism means, or this is what baptism means, we come together, we dig into the scriptures, and together we talk, and we can, we can do that with respect for one another, learning and being stretched and growing from, from one another. And one of the things I'm so excited about is not just what we see eternally, internally and eternally, but what not just we see internally, but what people are saying about us who aren't here. You know, in the Christian community, um, you're developing, we are developing a great reputation. I, I'm speaking tomorrow at Northwestern Chapel. Please pray for me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was over there just to get a feel for it. I've never been to one of the chapels before. And, and the guy who was assigned to me to kind of walk me around, he goes, I got your magnet on my fridge. Because Penny Johnson has just been hounding this guy to give us a, a, a shot. And, and, uh, but that was neat. And then I went from there to Bethel Seminary, one of our many convenient office locations. And, uh, and I'm there, and there's this guy who comes up who had heard about our church who is engaged, and he said, my fiancé and I are going to be coming in a, in a couple weeks. So it's neat that in the Christian community there's, there's a good buzz, but what I really love is what's happening in the community community. Churches have a horrible reputation in the business community. Horrible, absolutely horrible. There's churches, there's businesses, they don't even want to work with churches. And yet, they love us here. They love you. And uh, last week was a great example. There was a wedding happening right after, you know, we got, we got done. And we, I watched you guys, that was the quickest takedown we ever had. And you're vacuuming up all the crumbs like you always do, but you're extra vacuuming. And you're carrying in their wedding stuff. That was just so great. So the reputation that you're setting with those, you know, some of whom are believers but others who aren't, what, what an awesome thing God is doing in our midst. And it's so exciting. I mean, we have so far to go. We're only three years old, you know. We got, we got every area we've, we, we need to keep growing, as we always will. But it's so exciting to see where God's brought us so far. And I want to just take a moment to say thank you to all of you who've been um, a part of that you know, to, to start in something new. I'm so excited for what's ahead. Um, this December, we're going to be adding a second service. New small groups are popping up, which is fantastic. Soon, um, those who are members are going to be electing elders. Those who aren't yet members will be offering membership classes. <laughs> Yay. Um, and newsflash, we'll say more about this in the weeks to come, but it appears as though we're not only going to be able to worship here on Sundays, but we're actually going to have a space throughout the week. God seems to be opening up this space that we will get prime, amazing space below market value, way below market value, that we can have to gather for Bible studies and for meetings and to work together and to pray together. So we could go on and on and on. There's, there's some exciting things. But, but, none of that matters if we aren't moved and changed and marked by what we talk about today. None of it will matter if we omit what we are going to start in this new series. So, with that introduction, happy birthday! What? Heavy, wait. Uh, let's uh, take out our notes. Um, there's only one thing I'm, I'm going to ask you to write down. You may write down more than that, but if, if you'd be so kind as to write this down, this is um, the, the thought that I want to use as we launch this brand new series with a very cryptic title that we'll talk about later. Um, 
this, this is what I want us to write down. If you could write down sins of omissions, sins of omission create holes in our gospel. Sins of omission create holes in our gospel. Let's dive in. Let's start breaking this down. Let's start with the first phrase, sins of omission. Most of us who speak Christianese, we are familiar with sins of commission. Those are sins you commit. They are actions that you do that you shouldn't do, like lying, stealing, cheating, gossiping. Sins of commissions are sins we do by doing something wrong. So what are sins of omission? Here's a biblical definition. Here's, here's one um, right out of James, if we can put that up. This is a definition, I would say, of sins of omission. It comes from James chapter 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him or her, that is sin. That's a sin of omission. You know what you should do, but you don't do it. You don't do the, the right thing. That's what a sin of omission is. Sin of commission involves doing something wrong. Sins of omission involve not doing the right thing. Proverbs puts it this way. I love the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. You may not be able to do everything, but when it is in your power to act, do not withhold good from those who is due. Now, there are all kinds of sins of omission. We don't have enough Sundays in the rest of our lives to talk about them all. But I want to look at the one that I think with the American church is the greatest, the category of the greatest sins of omission. And it's a broad category, but it's this category of our response when it comes to the poor and the marginalized. And if you've been listening to conservative talk radio lately, um, hang with me. I, I am shocked as I've been listening to talk radio lately of, of how social justice and some of these things are just getting ripped. We'll address that later. We don't have time to today, but just look at the scriptures. Look at the scriptures is what I'm, what I'm going to ask of you. All right, um, here we go. There are several sins of omission, as I mentioned. Um, the one that we're going to be digging deep into involves our response to poor and marginalized. As I was preparing for this series, I came across a quote. I put it in your, um, your green sheets. We don't have this one on the screens, but take a look at your green sheets. This is great. It's, it's a person having a conversation with some other person. Sometimes I would like to ask God, the first person says, sometimes I would like to ask God why he allows poverty, suffering, and injustice when he could do something about it. Next person replies, why don't you ask him? And the person says, I'm afraid he'll ask me the same question. That kind of frames where we're, we're going here, doesn't it? Um, does God care about the poor and the marginalized? Absolutely. I spoke pounded the desk there. Absolutely. Here's, um, here's a passage from Isaiah. We're going to look at a couple passages from, from this book. Um, this is the message paraphrase. Now, you need to know there's, a, there's a, a paraphrase called the message. It is great for devotional reading. It's not great for Bible study. It's a very loose translation. But the heart of what's being communicated is right on here. So this is um, Isaiah 58, uh, or no, actually from Isaiah chapter 1, um, message paraphrase. Listen to my message, you Sodom school of leaders. Wow. Um, receive God's revelation, you Gomorrah school people. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbath, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meeting for that. I hate them. It continues. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. Work for what? Justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for 
the defenseless. Now again, I believe that this, even though it's a paraphrase, it communicates the heart of what God is getting at. And here's a couple, this is um, from the ESV, a, a, a very accurate translation. Um, Proverbs 21, 13 says this, whoever closes his or her ear to the cry of the poor will themselves call out and not be answered. And here's one that we, we frequently quote here. This is out of James um, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God his Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. According to, there's a, a Bible that was put out called the Poverty and Justice Bible. According to them, there are almost 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with poverty and injustice. 2,000. If we remove these passages from the Bible, you don't have a holy Bible anymore. You've got a Bible with holes. Absolutely. So back to this phrase. Um, Now let's talk about the second half. We talked about sins of omission. Let's talk about these holes in our gospel. The word gospel means good news. And as an American teenager, as I was growing up, I heard the good news, but here is how it was almost always communicated to me. If I was in youth group or at a retreat, it was almost always communicated something like this. And they would often use the scriptures, which is fantastic. They would use John 3.16. And then they would say, and they, and they would talk about the gruesome things that happened on the cross. And then they would say, if you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have done that for you. And is that good news? Yeah. It's, it's amazing news. But is that the full extent of the gospel? That Jesus died for you, individual, not plural. No. Jesus himself has a broader definition. If you brought your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And this is Jesus actually quoting from Isaiah. We're gonna, like I said, we're going to spend a lot of time on Isaiah. Isaiah he's actually going to quote um, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you with home, uh, home with one for free today. You can just grab one at the resource table. Make sure you get it before they pack up. I think they're going to be packing up fast so they can get at that, uh, that cake out there. All right. Um, but yeah, uh, here we go. Um, to set, give you a little bit of context to this, um, before this happens, Jesus is baptized. Jesus is led into the wilderness. Jesus goes to his hometown. Jesus then goes into the synagogue. He takes out the Isaiah scroll, the same Isaiah we looked at earlier. He begins to read from Isaiah 61. All right, let's, uh, let's get a little running start. Luke chapter 4, verses 16, starting with verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim what? Good news. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. To proclaim the good news to who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I'm not saying this is all there is to the gospel. What I'm saying is we can omit this from our gospel, the full understanding of it, and we end up with holes if we do. Most of us, I would imagine, were taught 
The gospel's about you. At least that's the way they would frame it. We're in America. We're good at talking about you and catering to you. And most of us, you know, that's again how, how it was presented to us. God loves you. God can change your life. Are these things true? Yes. Are they good news? Yes. Should we talk about those things? Yes. But should we omit this piece? No, we shouldn't. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's exactly right. Good job. For God so loved the world. And to forget that world piece, especially those who don't have voices or have marginalized voices, to forget that piece, that's, that's putting a hole, a big hole in the gospel. Well, during this series, I'm going to be recommending you know, a bunch of things, but there's two that I'll keep coming back to over and over and over again. One of them is I, I believe, and I don't say this about many books, I believe every American Christian should read this book. It's called The Hole in the Gospel by Richard Stearns. I put the information in your, um, in your, in your notes. Uh, I believe it's one that every American Christian should read. If you're in a third world nation, you probably don't have to read it because you're living it but I'd encourage you to read it. He does a great job on a lot of fronts, but one of the things he does, he does an outstanding job of putting staggering stats into understandable terms. And one of the things that he did as he was unpacking this issue, he said, um, when a jetliner crashes, it gets your attention because you have hundreds of people who die. And then he said, what if you woke up one day and in that 24-hour period of time, a hundred jetliners crashed, killing 26,500 people. Would that be on your radar? Yeah. Would that captivate people's attention? Yeah. Would people ignore that? And then what if it happened the next day? And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. And then he gives the punchline that you see coming. He says, that's happening. But it's not the jetliner. It's 26,500 kids dying of preventable causes due to their poverty every day. And the next, and the next, and the next. And then he does a great job because he starts rolling out these stats and he says there are an estimated 2 billion people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. They call themselves Christian. 2 billion. And he says there's about 3 billion who are desperately poor. Well, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. And didn't we just read that the Spirit of the Lord was upon the anointed one, in part, so that he could... Proclaim the good news to the poor. And if there's two billion of us anointed ones with different capacities and different levels of calling, if there's two billion of us, shouldn't that be good news to the world's three billion poor? It should. It should. As long as it doesn't become the great omission. And again, the, the, the things that go without saying are things like this, that God is going to call different people to different levels of involvement with the poor. Some of you are going to be called to give your entire life 
to the co- that cause. Others are going to be called into different things. But every one of us has at least some responsibility not to omit this piece of the gospel. All right, well, with all of that background now, let's take a look at this title of this series, this rather cryptic title, and I'll start under, helping understand why we've chose that word for this, this series. Um, let's start with that word, wrecked. This is something that happened to me. I became wrecked um, when it came to the issue of, of, of poverty. And I came, became wrecked by something that happened when I was a teenager that many of you are, are aware of. Um, growing up, uh, in, in the church, I grew up in the church, uh, especially as I was young, like a lot of people, you just have a very simplistic understanding of what that is. You know, um, church is a place where you go and you hear about God and you sing God songs. Um, church is a place where people are usually nicer than they are, except the mean church ladies and, and you know, that every <laughs> church seems to have those. But most people are nicer there, they cuss less, that kind of stuff. Um, well, as I got older and I began to understand more, I'm like, no, okay, I get it. This is supposed to happen outside your life too. When we read the Bible in church, that isn't supposed to just be what happens in church, you know, between my parents, between the church, it began to help me understand this. This is something you also do in your, in your life outside church. Um, listening to God-honoring music, that's something you do in church. It's something you should also do outside of church. So I began to make a connection. There's things that happen in church that you're supposed to happen outside of church. But when I was a teenager, um, I was taken to... Uh, by my free will, I'm taken down to Juarez, Mexico. And I'd never seen anything like that. You know, we got in this 15-passenger van and we crossed this border that the United States decided this is going to be the border. And we crossed this thing and, and a whole new world opened up. And I saw things I had never seen before. And I couldn't change the channel. I maybe seen part of them on a compassion, you know, commercial. But I couldn't change the sa- channel. I was surrounded by this. But what I also saw there that, that just caught me by surprise was that Christ was there. He was there. He hadn't abandoned those people. He was there. And that forever, forever marked me. There was Christ in the midst of the least of these. So I had been wrecked. My, my simplistic understanding of, of church and what that meant had now all of a sudden gone like this because there was this whole dimension of who Jesus was. This whole, I don't know if side is the right word, but this whole side of Christ that I'd never seen before. And now it was as if, you know, I thought Christianity's like this. I'm like, okay, it's still a lot of these things, but wow. It opened up. So I was wrecked. No longer would I be able to be content to just go back and think, I can just sing these songs and do these things. Never, never was I going to be content just pursuing the American dream, which I was fast-tracking like almost everybody else. You know, I, I was forever wrecked. My heart, my mind had been forever altered by this experience. And that's part of the wrecked for good. I was wrecked for good as in permanently. And of course, you know, you go up and down on how much it's consciously up here, but permanently, I was, I was changed by that experience. But not just wrecked for good as in permanently, also wrecked for good in the sense of to do good. I was wrecked not in the sense of overcome by there's nothing I can do, I should just be sad all the time, but I was, I was, I was fired up inside. We can make a difference. And I remember going down there as, as a teenager, and, and again, um, here come all the disclaimers. It is really, really hard for a youth group to go down, take a bunch of unskilled teenagers on a very limited budget, and do things of, of great value. 
But here I am, I got pictures. I wish I could have scanned them in, but I couldn't get that thing to work uh, last night. Um, the, uh, uh, they have a, I've got a picture of myself as a teenager, and I'm, I'm thatching a picnic shelter with bamboo. And the other job we had at that site was to weed their dirt parking lot. And I remember even as a teenager going, come on! This is what we We drove all the way from Minnesota. We're down here and we're weeding parking lots and we're, you know, that's I really, there's got to be more that we can do. And it was so exciting to watch as, as, as the years unfolded and God brought more people into, into my life and we shared this vision. We went down, we started building houses. And we started literally putting roofs over orphanages. And we started to, to do these things in Jesus' name that were of, of substance and of, of, of value. We put clothes on their backs and shoes on their feet and food in their tummies and toys in their little hands. And we hugged kids that had been abused and we played with kids who had once been on the street. And I, it, it's embarrassing as I, as I look back. It's embarrassing because... Um, as I was a, became a youth pastor, we began to sh- create these videos, right? To tell about our trip and to get people excited about the future trip. And I'm embarrassed because here was the template of my videos. The template of the videos is sad scenes in black and white, establishing shots, dramatic, sad music. Then come the Americans, and it's happy music and color, and look at us saving the day. And I'm so embarrassed because that was how I saw things. And as the years unfolded, I began to realize, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. They asked me, um, I was at a, a Sunday service um, just this last summer when we went down with our, with our group. And, uh, and I'm sitting there, and here they are, they're reading the scriptures, these powerful passages. Um, real quick, here's a, here's a section. It was Psalm 90. I, I wrote it down because I'm like, this is just amazing. Um, Here's just portions of it. They're reading these words in Spanish, of course, but I got my English Bible open up. It says, this is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. They're singing this in the midst of just horrific situation. It continues. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Let me read that again. These are the words they're, they're, they're reading. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. You want to see evil, go to Juarez, Mexico. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And then they sing this song. um, It's called the Revelation Song. It plays on our radio a lot. And, and, and part of that song joins with the eternal chorus of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They were praying the way the Bible describes prayer. They were looking at scripture in a way where they could identify with what was being said. They were singing songs the way we were meant to sing. And then they said, well, Chris, could you get up and share? And I'm like, what? What am I going to share? Because this is my spiritual birthplace. 
And you are my mentors in the faith. And I feel like I'm this little disciple. And anything that we've contributed over the years, it's nothing compared to what you're doing inside those of us who came. What began to happen as years unfolded is these people moved from these people to my brothers and my sisters and my friends. And so when this girl named Frida, who we have a relationship with, she needed serious dental work, I can't just write that off as a statistic and say she is one of many kids in third world nations who need significant dental work. This is Frida. I got to help. We got to help because we have a relationship. Um, we have a reminder too in our, in our house. And it's this <laughs> right here, this Rue Pinata. Um, let me tell you the story behind this Rue Pinata. Uh, several years ago, when my oldest daughter was uh, maybe turning three, I was heading down there for a, a trip, and we weren't going to bring her down that year. And, and so, um, so I said, What would you like me to bring you back, sweetie? And she says, a rue pinata. And I'm thinking, huh? Where in the world am I going to find a rue pinata in Juarez, Mexico? I can find Barney. I can find SpongeBob. I can find the little donkey that's all multicolored. I can find that. Where am I going to find a rue pinata? So here I am, you know, stressing about finding a rue pinata, as American dads are, are wont to do. Well, I'm at the children's home, Emmanuel Children's Home, and I just happened to mention to... Um, to one of the guys who lives there who I was working with, um, my plight. And he said, well, just talk to this guy right, right down there. A guy had set up shop on part of the manual compound, and he made piñatas. So, okay. So I go down there. Well, the problem is I don't speak Spanish, and he didn't really speak English. And I'm trying to say, yo necesito una rue piñata. And he's like, rue? What's a rue? And so we're having all these problems, right? And his son, his little son, he, he understands what I'm trying to say. And he points to this picture on the wall that they had there, and there were the Winnie the Pooh characters, and he points to Rue. And out of that little picture of Rue, the guy at the pinata place made this. This year, fast forward a couple years, this year I went down to, to Juarez, and they are in the midst of a war. And they've been talking about it on the news, only like Haiti, the news cameras now are... Moving on to whatever's latest, greatest. So the cameras have left. The war is still going on. Cartels are fighting for control of the city. You have an absolutely corrupt government that appears to be fighting the war, but there's all kinds of allegations that they're being funded by one of the cartels to be able to take out the other cartel. It's a mess. It's a mess. And the guy who made this piñata got caught in the middle of that. And one night, someone came, uh, several people came to his house, and they shouted something, and the guy comes out. I think they were looking for his son, but they shout something. He comes out, and he gets shot. They shoot him. And his wife says, I still can hear the clicks as they emptied the chamber. And that happened not long before we went down, right? And so then we, we go down, and then while I was down there, it sounds like they might have been looking for him, but they were especially looking for his son. While I was down there, I believe... They found his son, and his son was also killed. And the camera crews can move on and look for other stories, but I can't ignore what's happening in that little corner of the world. 
because they're not statistics. They're people who I have been blessed to know and who I'm still in the process of getting to know. Jesus was the firstborn of a new kingdom when he came into this world. He taught and he equipped his followers with new hearts and new minds and new kingdom values. And Jesus has given eyes to see this vision for those who would have eyes to see. And every time I work with the poor, my vision becomes a little clearer because there's this dimension of God that I see. That's why we're pressing into these issues. We have a clip as we start to now transition to what does this look like in our lives. We have one clip I want to I show. Some of you have seen this before. Some who have been with us from the start, um, we showed uh, this clip. And you'll recognize it right away. You don't forget this clip. This is just cameras rolling. Go ahead and, and show it. first saw that clip in August of 2007. And when I first saw that clip, I had a three-year-old daughter. I still have the daughter, but she's no longer three. That's how it works. And she, her hair was that length. Her, she had this like natural curl then. It did that same thing. Those movements that I saw in that clip, those movements were her movements. And, and that clip wrecked me. Just wrecked me. Because that if I had been born in India, that, that could have been my Andra. And the reality is, just because it's not my Andra, it's somebody's Andra. You know, at, at the very least, it's God's. At least, I shouldn't say. It's God's Andra. And the Word of God says, if any one of you has material possessions, you see your brother or sister in need, you have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words and tongue. Let us love with actions and 
in truth. And when that clip wrecked me, it didn't just wreck me. It wrecked me for good. I literally took my phone after I got done crying in my truck. I took my phone. I left myself a message so that I would be sure to write this down. We will be a church that responds to this. And when we first showed that clip, we weren't in the position that we are in now to take another big step. We did what we could then. We're in a position now to take another big step. And one of those big steps that I'm going to challenge us to do is to see that every single kid at Emmanuel Children's Home has a sponsor. And if you are already sponsoring a kid for Compassion International, World Vision, if you are already plugged in to real needs of people and you know their name, you know their face, you are beginning to develop a relationship, if you're already doing that, praise God. Praise God. If you are not, I'm going to challenge you to do it. And we have some ways. As the series unfolds, we're gonna, we have some ways where you can do it without, if you don't literally, I don't have, you know, if you literally don't have $30 a month, there's things you can do. And we'll, we'll tell you about those, uh, of ways you can help. We're going we, we're gonna to set that challenge up before us. Every single kid, Emmanuel Children's Home, has a sponsor. It's not the whole $3 billion. We can't shoulder that. We can't shoulder $3 billion. But we can each do our part. Amy, could you just stand up real quick? Amy, you lived down there six-ish months at the home? Ten and a half months. Um, and so Amy you, knows these kids. She's lived with them. She's, you know, she knows their stories. Um, there's new kids coming in all the time, but she knows a great deal of them. I give her a packet of, of information. It's got some of their profiles. If you want to start the conversation, don't give a hard sales pitch of right now sign because I don't believe in that. I think you need to pray about that. You know, make a commitment that's going to last, not one that you did on an emotional whim, right? But if they want to talk to Amy, Amy, when we, we go down there, she'll be down at a table right there. Thank you, Amy. And she's got some information. But we'll be doing this every week of the series. We'll be giving you, reminding you this challenge. But I encourage you to go and to hear these stories so that they don't become statistics, but that you're contributing and you're building a relationship over time with a real person. And again, this isn't the only place, no. I mean, there's Latin America, there's Africa, there's Asia, there's Minnesota. There are needs all around us. But one of the reasons we're trying to pick a common place together is because there's something very powerful about that. As we combine and we share the stories, and then as we hear needs that are bigger than any one of us, and we can rally around those needs in Jesus' name, and we can do things together that none of us could do alone. How exciting is that? especially now, and one of the reasons I feel so strong about this place right now is that the camera crews are pulling out and so are the churches. It's an extremely dangerous place. And so they're becoming more and more invisible. And so we're going to do everything we can to make them more visible. Not because they're the only place to plug in, but because they're one place to start. Let's close um, with this this scripture. This is again from the book of Isaiah. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to this one. Isaiah chapter 58, starting with verse 6. Isaiah chapter 58, starting with verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? This is God speaking. To loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, 
and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Let's jump down to verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you, to conti- guide you continually and satisfy your desire in the scorched places and make your bones strong. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. There is a false dichotomy that I once held that either you can be happy and ignorant of these things or you can be knowledgeable and aware of these things and be depressed all the time. Look what we read here in Isaiah. That if, as we engage these things and we see God working through us, as we engage these things, then shall your light rise in the darkness. Your gloom will be like noonday. Even in the midst of this, and I've experienced that myself, even in the midst of that tragedy, you have hope and you see God at work and, and your paradigms are shattered and you actually have joy. And God then continually guides you, making you like a watered garden, a spring of water. That's why we can press into this. And that's why on a day of our birthday party, we can do this. We can, we can press into this, and it is not hypocritical for us to go out and laugh and have a great time. For everything, there is a season. And there is a season to rejoice and just have fun and celebrate God's faithfulness with his people. And let's also keep pushing in, as the series goes on, into these huge themes, knowing that our God is greater, our God is stronger. Our God is already there, and he's inviting us to come into the midst of it. I have a, have a prayer that, I, um, that I'd like us to pray together. You don't have, you can just, if you don't know what's coming, so you don't have to pray it. Um, but can we put up this, this prayer? Um, that if you'd like to pray it silently, pray it silently. If you'd like to pray it out loud, pray it out loud. But I'm going to pray it out loud. And if any of you care to join me, this is a dangerous prayer. If you care to join me, let's pray. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord to see the world as you see it. We confess that we have turned a blind eye to people you love and causes you care about. Let our hearts be broken by the things that break yours. Then inspire and empower us to become who we were created to be. This we ask in your mighty name. Amen.